Hi, hi to all the listeners. This is China Manufacturing Decoded, the podcast that talks about topics around China manufacturing, but also around product development. Uh, in this case, uh, product reliability, right? Uh, and there's a lot to learn from the news. And today, so I'm Renaud Joran, I'll be your host in this podcast, and I'm joined by a very frequent uh, co-host, uh, my colleague Andrew Arminovin. How are you doing, Andrew? Hi, Renaud. Good to be here. Thank you. Doing well. All right. So today we're going to go back on two recent pieces of news that have made big headlines, right, in uh, in July. And actually come from reliability issues, right? So the first one is the Titan submarine that imploded and everybody talked about it for, for a week, right? And a lot, of, um, a lot of details came up in the press because they had been so public about how they had designed it and how they had, you know, bent the so-called rules and so on and so forth, all right? And the second one is the very large wind turbines that have been installed, I believe, mostly in Europe by a subsidiary of Siemens, right? Siemens Gamesa, okay, it's uh, with a joint venture with a Spanish company, I believe. They have installed a large number of very large, very expensive wind turbines, and then they, they have some some issues, and then the the stock of the whole Siemens group fell sharply and so on and so forth. And this is due to also reliability issues. Okay, so we're going to go over them and hopefully the listeners uh, can have a few takeaways and understand a little bit better, you know, why it's so important to think of the lifetime of the product when you design it, right? Because after that, it's, uh, well, it's kind of too late. So let's start with the Titan, the, the submarine that was going down from time to time to uh, to bring some some passengers, some paying passengers. They were paying; it was not cheap, and they were coming down the depth of the Atlantic Ocean, going down what four thousand feet, uh, four thousand meters. Sorry, it's pretty pretty deep um, to see the. Um, the Titanic or whatever remains of the Titanic, right? And then suddenly it imploded. So it's pretty, of course, it's pretty, pretty tragic. Okay, five people were dead, including one uh, who was, uh, I think, the, the founder of the, the company that was operating the Titan and, and, and four paying passengers, all right? And a lot of things came, up in, came out in the press, as I mentioned. I'm going to... St- Start by reading a quote from a New York Times article, okay, uh, where the it was entitled "The Maverick Design Choices That May Have Doomed Titan." Okay, so they they uh, they look at the um, what actually happens and, and and try to understand, right? And one of the things they say, I'm going to quote here. There's two short paragraphs. The best way of outwitting the many dangers, the expert agreed, would have been to subject Titan to rigorous testing under the anticipated conditions and stresses. Fatigue of various materials also would have had to be considered and continually monitored. 
Manufacturing defects of any kind could build up over time as the Titan endured the cycles of stress associated with repeatedly going down miles to the bottom of the Atlantic and back. Most deep-sea craft undergo costly rounds of inspection and testing by reputable, reputable marine organizations that specialize in certifying the deep diving craft as safe. But Mr. Rush, okay, the one of the organizers of the, 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 these tours to, to see the Titanic, right? But Mr. Rush obtained no certification for Titan, saying it stifled innovation. In a documentary, he said, you are remembered for the rules you break, and I've broken, broken some rules to make this. The carbon fiber and titanium, there's a rule you don't do that. Well, I did. Okay, so <laughs> that that sounds like a lot of, People actually that we uh, <laughs> we work with, right? But they say, "Well, no, exactly. it would be nice if you don't break that." <laughs> I just have to say this: you just don't break the reliability rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, right. So when when they say the carbon fiber and um, and titanium, um, basically, maybe I have to explain a little bit. It's very nicely explained in that New York Times article, uh, but. And we'll put the link in the show notes, but it's behind a paywall. So you have the cylinder, the main cylinder, right around the, the, the submarine. And then you have a uh, at one end, what they call a, a hemisphere. Okay, basically a piece of titanium to close off one end of the, of the submarine. And the problem is that when you go down very, um, uh, very deep in the ocean and you have a lot of pressure, they don't compress the same way that's the problem right so how were they joined they were joined by a glue joint and that's it so if the as, as a lot of water pressure builds up carbon fiber is going to compress titanium is not going to compress much so every time this happens the joint is getting sort of torn apart right you do that once, you know, five times, 10 times, maybe, you know, uh, the 20th time or the, the 50th, 50th time, um, it might just break, it might fail, right? So that, that's, that's typically a reliability issue, isn't it? Exactly. I, I think that uh, there were a lot of mistakes done in this project, one of which that I think that they didn't do any testing or didn't do r- rigorous testing, all because the funding wasn't there and they were scared that, well, we only got one one unit here, one sample, and we're going to destroy this. Then it'll take us another years to come up and make another one. And so mm. that you and I, we have run into that kind of situations when customers, they say, no, no, let's just test one sample. <laughs> and it's right, still right. like 10 or 20 or hundred, you know, depending on what the product is. So, um, you know, not enough sample, not rigorous testing. And then um, I think the big one was that they didn't go through uh, certification and regulatory, uh, you know, let's say oceanic or uh, shipping uh, type of regulatory process where they, you know, they would at least ask them, you know, what kind of materials are you using? These are the strengths of the materials on this kind of a depth and, and so on. Uh, they just ignored everything. And just like you mentioned, mm. you know, he said the breaking rules. 
but there's just one rule you don't break in reliability because you end up with huge catastrophic failures. And in this case, it looks like they really believed that this submarine, which was pretty much made for tourism, not so much for research uh, under four kilometers of water, which you and I, you and I know that the pressure under that amount of water is enormous and um, you know a lot of the materials and a lot of the joints like you mentioned uh, were not engineered yeah I, I don't want to get into that I I, I, th- I think there was a lot of mistakes done right and I think and that's just actually yeah. the the one point that I mentioned about the um, titanium joint together with carbon fiber going into deep you know very very high pressure environment it's just one thing that other people had, you know, noticed, right? But there's there's so many other things. Yeah, I, I found something. There's, there's there's someone called Anthony Dean in in LinkedIn, and he said, "Well, there's there's so many so many things they did that scream low reliability, right?" And I'm just gonna go through a few of them. So first. They were using a video game controller, right? But a video game controller is supposed to be used in the living room, right? Not in a place right. where um, th- that's pressurized, not in a place. Uh, anyway. Right. And also the video game switches are not wired, right? Of course, if you have a solid wired connection, you don't need to, to worry too much. Uh, but right. when it's when it's wireless, various things might might just go wrong right oh you lose the the connection somehow and then what do you do right or maybe you right. just forget oh if is what what they call the human factor right oh i forget to to change the the batteries or oh i, I forgot to to bring the the controller right but even but even the batteries don't perform yeah even the batteries don't perform the same under uh mm. different environments like you know in the cold environment batteries just drain very quickly yeah, yeah. Also, yeah, I mean, he listed a lot of points. I'm not going to go through all of them, but an example is every time they open the hatch, you know, everything is subjected to the to the salt water environment, which is very corrosive, right? And then they have boards, you know, solder boards that are not engineered for that, you know, not, not even protected, right? There's, there's, there's so many things, let me see. Yeah, the master control not on the main power bus, <laughs> all kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, do you really want to to control the main vehicle proportion of, and guidance with this kind of, of video game controller, right? Um, right. What happens when you when you start to freak out when you're in the wrong situation when you need to do something in a very precise manner, you know, etc., etc., etc. Okay, so. Basically, they designed it in a cheap way to say, okay, let's see if it works. Let's do just one. So we don't need to certify it, exactly as you, as you mentioned. Uh, we, we don't need to, to get it certified. With, so we, it's fine. We don't need to make two or three of them. And, and that's it. And it comes back to, let's say, an ethical level, right? Uh, where you have a company taking some, some passengers and the passengers, you know, pay some money and they go down there and there's a risk for their lives. 
and not everything that should have been done was done, right? I mean, it's not even a certified vessel for a high pressure environment, which, wow, which is pretty scary. And some of the passengers, I believe at least one German person, you know, say, oh, I was a passenger on this. And then I, I complained about certain safety deficiencies. And I told them that a very bad accident could happen easily here. Uh, but, you know, did they take that into account? It seems they did not, right? So they got some warnings. They did not do uh, much. Now, I would say it depends what you compare it with. If you compare it with, say, a, um, I don't know, um, entertainment, you know, where you go on the rides and uh, you go up and down in the air and things like that, right? Or like in Disneyland and, and so on. There's a lot of safety considerations, right? And it's it's it has to be certified and it's inspected regularly and so on and so forth. So if you compare it to that, it, it looks pretty bad, right? Now, if you come, I was thinking about it. If you compare it to the guys who take a group of five, ten people to climb up the Everest, you know, these people also pay. Actually, they pay less than going down to see the Titanic. Is what fifty thousand or sixty thousand bucks. Uh, and, and you can go up and then from time to time you have some kind of accident and the weather turns bad like in 1996 and a, f- a few people die in- including the guide right so if you compare it to going up the Everest actually their fatality rate might be rather low right if you take into account all of the the trips that they they took down to the the, the bottom of the ocean um so I, I don't really know what to what to think about it. How do you see that um, that that wool implosion accident? Well, I, I think the design was definitely flawed. Uh, they had all kinds of design related, component related issues that just didn't make any kind of engineering sense. Uh, one of the things that they did, for example, the hatch design. Apparently, once the team got inside the submarine. Then they had to close the hatch and put in with 17, 18 huge bolts and just basically lock them inside. Even mm. if they wanted to get out, they couldn't. Right. Now, wow. uh, you know, you and I both know that is not the best design when it comes to engineering because you, that is one of the things that you don't do. You, you want to have escape mm. route, not lock them inside. So that's not a good idea. They had no GPS at all. There was no way for them to guide themselves. Of course, you know, GPS doesn't work well uh, under the water. So they, there are some other uh, underwater schemes that uh, I'm not very good at uh, explaining those. But there are other ways that they could have done to be able to actually guide that uh, vessel. And then there was no location beacon. I mean, that is something mm. that just about right. every vessel has it, right? A location beacon. It's very cheap, easy to install. I don't know why they didn't do that. Um, and and they, they were basically getting their guidance from the surface. Can you imagine four, four kilometers away mm. trying to get information from the surface? Uh, so that was not done right. And um, like you said, uh, there was absolutely no operational safety put in there. there. There was one important thing that somebody talked about that I, I took a note, and that is 
the way this vessel was built was not to any kind of a standard like mill standard mm-hmm. or shipping standard you know someone made a, a point that you know if you are making some kind of a goggle for apple it's going to cost you like three thousand dollars to buy one of those uh, uh you know new goggles that apple is making right mm-hmm. something like that but the the visors you know the visors that uh, are used in f-35 fighters those mm-hmm. cost over four hundred thousand or what to, to, to mm-hmm. the government and the whole reason behind it is because military goes to unbelievable uh, limits to understand the product and uh, mm-hmm. they go to huge amount of reliability. I mean, you know, the, the reliability that is done in MilSpec, mil- as you and I are aware of, uh, it is really going to the breaking point of the product. And that's exactly how they get to understand the limits of product, they come down from that and they set the operational spec. So to make sure that the product never actually reaches that limit. And, and, and in this case, there was an interesting meeting apparently uh, between David Lockridge, who was one of the Ocean Gates director of quality. And um, in one of those meetings, he actually objected to the fact that, you know, for example, the, the, non-destructive tests are not done, should be done. And uh, nobody paid attention to what he said. There was a, a the window that the submarine had uh, was only rated for like 1,400 meters. That is mm. way mm. over than 4,000 meters. Right. Right. So those are the kind of things that uh, they, they really missed big time on this one. Yeah, now I totally agree. There are standards. How do these standards and these regulations... You know, how do they appear usually for for submarines for for planes is you know they are written in blood as they say right exactly. there have been accidents there have been accidents and people people did a root cause analysis and say okay it probably came from this or it certainly came from this how do we prevent it in the future you know how do we add a fail safe how how do we add uh, redundancy how do we prevent this altogether, and so on and so forth, right? How do we make the instruments clear, clearer to you know, easier to read and to interpret? How do we never get in that kind of situation again, right? But then someone comes along like a, a cowboy and say, "Okay, I'm just going to do it my way and let's see." Well, if you go down on your own, and if something goes wrong, that's it, you know. The, the the navies of several countries are not going to try to to go and locate you and spend a lot of money locating you. Uh, you know, who cares, right? No problem. But if you start right. to <laughs> to make it a business and bring some people and so on and so forth, uh, yeah, I think they, I mean, it's easy to say after the fact, right? But there's so many ways they kind of ignored good reliability practices and the lessons learned from the past that um, it's kind of hard to defend them, I would say. Um, now, <laughs> you mentioned they need an escape route. Well, when you're down, down under, you know, there's no escaping anyway, even if you can, can open, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think... You'll be, yeah, the, you'll be pressed, under that pressure. It, you, you'll be like a, <laughs> right. like a gel. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah you're, you're done immediately. Uh, if you're just like 50 meters under or something, 
the submarines actually they have a way to escape and and to get something on their face and get up and like sometimes some people die some people survive you know it's kind of really really harsh right uh do you want to do you want to try or you want to stay at the bottom and and asphyxiate and 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 die like that right so people have a have a choice in some cases people could escape but uh, it's really a relatively shallow depth right <laughs> well you know what i think that i think what really really happened here was that they this whole process was not done uh per engineering process and if they were done per engineering guidelines then mm-hmm. one of the things that is a must is doing reliability testing and if they had done this then they would have done reliability testing on individual components then they wouldn't be using for example uh you know a, a controller uh for a video game for right. example um and um, by doing specific tests from component level from pcb level all the way to product level they would have discovered step by step let's say a build by build or as they move towards the full product they would have found all kinds of issues and they would have found the root cause fixed it and then and then maybe uh they would have built one of them not so much uh full functional for actual operation but maybe just for prototyping purpose and then once they get all the everything right they could build one unit and then that way yeah the cost could be slightly higher but it will be done right and per engineering process and i think that was the biggest mistake of them you know not only not following engineering guidelines and design but also doing not sufficient testing reliability testing and component testing and uh, of course regulatory and certification testing yeah um fully agree now i was wondering what what do you think of the um, their their assertion you know the the person who founded that that company that was that that put together the, the this um submersible and was going down he said that all of the standards basically stifle innovation and oh, in a way in a way that's true because it makes it very hard for new entrants with fresh ideas right and that's how you have because the, the the US Navy has their own submarine that can go relatively deep it's called the Alvin right. um probably cost much much more to put together right and test and so on but at least it's much safer right so in in general what 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 do you think of the idea that such standards basically block new entrants and and prevent new ideas from coming out and being tested so i think what he says in in a nutshell in a, in general it may make sense but i think that um you have to look at it uh in a different from different perspective so the standards are put in there for two reasons one a company is making money from those standards and two there are some guidelines there but the guidelines are a lot more often they're not really specific to a particular product this is the problem with the standards a lot of times they are very general guidelines they're kind of like giving you some hints on how you should be 
testing your product to make sure that in general, it is actually meeting certain kind of a requirement, which are really should be known requirements that are in the industry. On the, on the, other, on the other hand, uh, you have a product that is going all the way down to 4,000 meter. Never, ever any vessel has ever done this. And that's exactly why, you know, for example, SpaceX is uh, sending uh, rockets uh, in space without, uh, you know, they're un- unmanned, basically. That's the whole point. They're doing unmanned launches to make sure that the product is actually going to be safe. And in this case, they didn't do that. They didn't build the product with certain guidelines from um, standards, not necessarily uh, following it to the T's, but kind of understanding what the, you know, the, the, the secret uh, messages between the lines in these standards, and then creating maybe their own standard that actually meets certain requirement under that much pressure, uh, you know, under mm-hmm. uh, that much distance. So they could have done that. And then uh, maybe they would have actually created a whole new standard for the industry if they would have done it the engineering way, you know, uh, maybe uh, make a smaller version of it kind of to a scale, right? And then sending it down unmanned uh, with a robot and, and cameras and just see mm-hmm. what's going on with the structure and so on. And then one, once uh, nothing happened, you know, maybe uh, make it a bigger one and <laughs> maybe put a monkey monkey in it. I mean, I'm, I'm kidding, but uh, right, right. there have to be done some tests on man to ensure that the quality, reliability structure is going to handle uh, that environment. Yeah, and also monitor maybe. For example, going back to what I mentioned before about the titanium and the carbon fiber, actually having sensors to monitor how it's getting compressed, right? Because I just I just found the exact number. Every square inch is subject to a water pressure of three tons, three tons of force. Can you imagine that pressure is just enormous? So if you monitor and you say, okay, it's starting to retract a bit too much, okay, it's not safe, let's do something else. You don't actually need to to push it to failure, right? Right. Right, exactly. And, and and you mentioned SpaceX. Actually, it's a very good example of another company that did innovate, did in some cases use consumer electronics uh, types of components, right. but they had to actually test them to show that their reliability was perfectly within what the military uh, standards were requiring. And that's how they avoided using some of the, you know, military contractors' own components, which cost so much more. And 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 of course, there's not not that much uh, choice, right? So they're able to to pick in 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 a much wider range of of options. But they had to test them to test the components to confirm, okay, they are reliable to the point where we can use them, right? So uh, that that was an example. Where they did it right, and this um, Titan is an example where probably it seems they did not do it very nicely. So, as I mentioned, I wanted also to cover another recent example, right? So, uh, Siemens is a huge 
German companies, one of the largest German companies, right? Uh, and they are present in a number of different industries and they, they tend to work on highly engineered products. And one of their subsidiaries is called Siemens Gamesa, I guess I, I need to pronounce it sort of the, the Spanish way. And uh, it, it, it focuses on re renewable energy. And they have installed probably thousands by now of wind turbines uh, onshore, right? We're talking about onshore wind turbines. Okay, and it's a, it's a pretty big business. It's a pretty, pretty big business. Yeah, they have a fleet of uh, more than 100 gigawatts, <laughs> right? So that, that's yes. huge. That's huge. That's many times more than um, a nuclear power plant. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. Okay, and they came up with a press release or some kind of warning saying that they discovered issues in some of the components. And they mentioned, I'm, I'm reading in a Reuters article, we also put the link in the show notes. They mentioned that they discovered issues specifically in rotor blades and bearings, among others. Okay, And they say that there's abnormal vibration. Okay. And uh, it's not just one or two of their um, fleet of uh, wind turbines. I mean, that would be expected, right? There's some variations and some of them are going to be in trouble and need to be, um, they need to have some components replaced. But they say that it's between 15 and 30% of their installed fleet. Again, more than 100 gigawatts, right? That, that's an enormous number of these huge wind wind turbines okay so we don't know much they haven't said much but basically when they install these um these turbines it's supposed to to be active for probably 25 30 years right maybe maybe longer people don't really know because we don't have that much hindsight about this this design of wind turbines right but this is in the energy sector. So everything is in decades, right? For, for sure, it's more than 20 years. So they say that they're trying to develop a statistical model that could translate fault rates into firm indications of how turbines are expected to perform over the next uh, 20 years. Okay. But it, it's, again, 15 to 30%, right? So it had a big impact on uh, even the, the stock price of the, the whole Siemens company and so on and so forth. But it's also casting a doubt on on the whole, let's be fast in doing a transition to no carbon in energy sources, right? Um, if it's if it's not really uh, tested, we don't have a lot of um, history and learnings. There are going to be some, you know, painful uh, instances of, of learning like this one, right? So when when you read about this abnormal vibration behavior of some components. What, what do you think, you know, may have happened? Well, uh, this is just another example of a corporate greed where they actually didn't put the money on quality and reliability then, and they wanted to put the money on profitability. As you know, this situation couldn't be, there, there must have been issues definitely with the design for sure, because anytime you have an issue of this size and this big, uh, which is going to cost the company in the order of two billion or more, apparently, a lost customers. They they're providing this mm. to 
many, many customers across the world. So this is not just a small chunk of issues. You've got, like, as you mentioned, 30% of the product returning or having issues. I'm thinking that definitely they had issues related with the design uh, right from the get-go, because if they didn't have these issues, they would have noticed it, but they didn't do a really thorough analysis of the design, testing of the design, testing of the components that they're talking about. And then, uh, you know, because here's, here's the problem I'm foreseeing what happened. The product is so huge that testing it as a whole is really not easy. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. in, during the design and development for something like this, what they should have done, they should have hired military grade reliability engineers. These are uh, engineering types that they know how to design, for example, a whole airplane uh, reliability without having the actual sample of the Mm. product. So there is a theoretical reliability engineering that goes uh, with this type of design. And then they actually design the product based on certain reliability goals, you know, like you mentioned, 30 year uh, product, um, certain amount of vibration need to be handled, uh, certain amount of wind, for example, pressure and wind speed, uh, all of these would be taken into account. And I'm talking about right down to the component and PCB level, including uh, thermal cycling and different uh, environmental factors, you know, water and rain and dirt, everything Mm -hmm. and lightning. So all of these would have been taken into account. Then the theoretical design would be or should be somewhat close to the realistic one. Right. And once they build it's so hard yes. to model. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I, I think about because mm-hmm. you have the wind, you have wind speed, yeah. which huge. is not constant. So you have some areas where it's like in bursts, right? And then Yeah, but you have to look into the worst case scenarios and all at all times if you yeah. want a, a, a true reliable product. And then once the design was complete, then they would actually make a prototype and then they would run the prototype through real like uh, wind tunnels and other uh, areas, thermal cycle to make sure that it's actually uh, meeting or getting closer to the target goal they had in terms of reliability. And I don't think they did a thorough analysis like this. Right, right. So... What you are saying is basically, if we compare the two, uh, the two, the two cases, right? The Titan submersible, this could have been tested by preparing a smaller prototype, sending it, you know, pressurizing it first and then sending it really at the bottom of the ocean and with a lot of sensors and everything, see how it goes and, and so on. You know, and, and of course, they should have read the standards and, and actually thought of how to, you know, how to follow some of the best practices and so on, right? Correct. This case is much more theoretical, right? You have, it's extremely hard to model, but some people have, are, are good at that and there, there are software that, that can support that, right? Correct. Um, even the way the, 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 the wind turbines are in relation to each other, you know, because sometimes in some fields they are behind, sort of behind each other, in a, in a certain type of array and so on. So it's really, 
really not simple to um, to model, but some people actually uh, do that for a living, right? That, that's what you're saying again. Uh, aerospace. Yes, absolutely. Military. I mean, you know, uh, Boeing and uh, a lot of the airplane com- com- companies. They are actually doing those types of modeling because, you know, each one of those airplanes costs millions and millions of dollars, right? Mm. So they're not going to. And once they have done the modeling and they have built maybe one or two, you know, prototypes, then they will start doing some testing. And uh, a lot of times, at least maybe up until like a couple of years ago, where they actually did a crash landing of one of the airplanes uh, just for testing. But um, most of the time, they take one wing and they'll just do all sorts of vibration testing, uh, limit testing, you know, how much wind testing is going to break the wing and so forth. They do a lot of things just on component level, for example. And, And then once they feel pretty satisfied, then they might do actual, let's say, harsh testing, you know, in the sky uh, with special pilots that they know how to get out of that situation when the when the airplane <laughs> fails. But uh, but yeah, you're right. I, I think the modeling is not easy, but it can be done. And they should have followed that sort of uh, mindset to to be able to come up with a prototype that could actually handle that sort of pressure, either in deep sea or um you know, the turbines, uh, the wind turbines. I think they both have a couple of things in common, as you can see, right? Mm, oh, yeah, definitely. Well, also, they might have done all of that, but it might be one of their suppliers that, you know, dropped the ball, right? Because they oh. buy they buy from Chinese companies, Japanese companies, Swiss companies, German companies, and so on and so forth. Yeah. You are so right about that. In fact, that actually happened to one of my previous companies where we bought, we designed a product with a Japanese, uh, you know, LCD and product was working beautiful, no problems at all. And then all of a sudden we went ahead and uh, for cost cutting purpose, we went with a Chinese product that was equally good product, good quality. Everything looked right, except in production, we ended up not being able to close the camera because there was a stack up issue. And then it turns out that the engineer made a design issue, design mistake. And he had a very wide tolerance, uh, basically spec for the lens for the, you know, display. However, for the production version, they went with a tight tolerance Japanese high quality lens. Mm. And then and then everybody made that a standard. And then they went and purchased uh the Chinese version. And the Chinese supplier said, Hey, here's your spec. I'm meeting the spec. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Mm. And then they found out that it was all design related. Somebody dropped the ball and they made it too tight on the manufacturing and they used uh, the tight spec as their as the actual spec in production production, whereas that was not the case. Uh, and where where were the, the design reviews and the pilot runs and so on? Correct. <laughs> they would have found that, those things. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, right. Well, anyway, maybe no need to keep digging in, in you know, as long as we don't have any more specific uh, pieces of information. But again, this is a probably a two billion euro uh right off and 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 maybe more 
right? So right. reliability issues are maybe not everywhere, but they are behind a lot of the, the big problems that we hear in the news. We think about it in terms of safety for the, the Titan that goes down to the bottom of the ocean. We think of it as a quality issue. That's, that's what they write in the article about the, the wind turbines. But when you go down to it, it's about, you know, is it a reliable design and are manufacturing controls in place and also some regular ongoing reliability testing in place to ensure that continuing productions keep meeting the, 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 the reliability objectives, right? So if, if these things were done right, we probably would not have heard of um, of these two um, two catastrophic pieces of news. So uh, yeah, that that was interesting. Thanks thanks a lot, Andrew. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed we'll, it. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that from time to time when we hear a similar kind of uh, kind of big problems. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So thanks for the listeners. Uh, you'll hear from us next week as always thanks a lot for staying with us and till next time thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the sophie's group we're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in asia including inspections auditing new product development support contract manufacturing 3pl warehousing and fulfillment and much much more across asia's key manufacturing areas Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.